presented by Ridley. Now and not yet. Hi, welcome to the Now and Not Yet, the show that keeps you plugged into Bible and theology. I'm Mike Bird, and I'm Scott Harrower. And Michael, people are fascinated by the second century, and so they should be, Scott, because we know you've got first-century Christianity with the apostles and Jesus and everything cool. But there is some awesome stuff happening in the second century. What make what makes it so awesome? Well, it's a bit mysterious. Um, New Testament Christianity goes into the second century like this sort of dark tunnel, comes out the other side, and then third century Christianity is fun, it's flourishing, there's poetry, there's music, there's church structure, but the second century is where it all happens. It's the dark sausage factory of Christian church history. I, I pref- I've heard it called the Cinderella century. I think I, I like that better than your dark sausage factory. Um, okay. Why is it the cin- Cinderella? Well, because it's... it. It's it's beautiful, it's glamorous in its own way, but nobody really knows about it. Ooh, and it's that's secret, why, is it? yeah, it's secretly glamorous, Ooh. but no one really knows because it gets neglected. It's like the uh, the beautiful the beautiful sister who's been confined to being the scullery maid. Okay, I see. But once you once you get to know her, uh, you know, and get her a nice a nice frock and some glass slippers, you see how wonderful she is. <laughs> Why do Christians neglect the second century? Why would there be neglect? T- uh, two reasons. Number number one is because we all love our uh, Christian beginnings. So we like the, Jesus, the apostles, yep. the start. And then the second reason, and I blame this, Augustine. And people, <laughs> like if you go to like the, um, the North American Patristic Society, it's like 60% Augustine. Okay. It's so just he- a bunch of Augustine scholars and a few of their bus boys who do a few other things in church history. But so you've got Augustine in the late 300s and the New Testament through to the year 100. And then yep. there's this gap in the middle. Gap, which you've got, you got like the third century. But the second century is you get the uh, the sequels to the apostolic age. Well, you find out what happens to the apostles. Yeah, you do. And you, their disciples. Exactly. So you've got Ignatius and Polycarp and, and Papius. You've got the apologists like Justin Martyr, some of the first big theologians like Irenaeus. Uh, you've got Clement of Alexandra starts kicking around. Mm. Uh, you've got the early stages as well of uh, Tertullian. I mean, he's you know he's probably you know, coming into manhood around this time. So this is a really big time in the history of the church, and this is where there is increasing persecution, a yep. spasmodic and, and localized, but increasing persecution. Uh, there's more of an interaction with the intellectual culture around yeah, them. It becomes richer, doesn't it? Yeah, you've got more of a biblical theology coming around. Around. Um, people are writing to the emperor saying, hey, dude, like totally stop persecuting us because yes. you know, we're, 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 we're like legit. We're good for the world. We're good for the world. And yeah, there's so many good things happening and it has such a momentous impact on what's going to happen in the second, third and fourth, in the third, fourth and fifth centuries. So it really is an important era for the history of the church, but it's so unknown and so mm, neglected, mm. Uh, particularly by our students. So, so like, what, are you, what are your top three people? If we're digging into our oh, yeah. lost unknown family tree that we oh. discover all of a sudden, who are your top three people in the second century and why? Well, I think you've got to have number one, I like Irenaeus. Yeah. Uh, so Bishop, where's, where is he? Yep. Okay, well, he's from Asia Minor, but he goes and helps the church in uh, Lyon. In, in Gaul, a.k.a. France, 
because they, you know, they've had some times of persecution. Yeah. They need a new bishop. He's very smart, uh, hates heretics, loves the church. So, but he also knows his Bible, and, he, and I think he really kicks off the tradition of biblical theology. I'll say more yeah. about him soon. So you've got Irenaeus, I love him. Justin Martyr, uh, very uh, clever apologist, uh, interesting backstory as well, uh, comes from a non-Christian background. I really do love him. So he's in Rome? Yep, he's in Rome. He's originally from Samaria. Yep. Uh, ends up in Rome as a teacher. And the other person I really like is Ignatius of Antioch. Right. He's a bishop in Syrian Antioch, uh, but eventually is arrested and then sent to Rome to be executed. And along the way, he writes a number of letters to congregations. And I think some of the, there's some of the best literature in the wider the wider you know body of early Christian literature. The Epistles of Ignatius, I think, are very important because you see the devotion, you see uh, love for the church, developing leadership structures, some of the you know, arguments they're having within the church. So I think there's some important... So I'd put them in my top three. Mm. Uh, it would definitely be Irenaeus, one, uh, Justin Martyr, two, and then I'd put Ignatius. What about you? You got... You so got, I, you got really, I really like Polycarp yep. as a person. Another bishop. Closely linked with John. Yep. Right? Um, he writes a letter that we have. Yep. And we have a... Description of his martyrdom. Yeah. One of my favourite quotes from any of the church fathers comes from Polycarp, where Polycarp is ordered to renounce faith. The, the, the proconsul says, look, you know, dude, you know, we're going to kill you. I yeah. mean, you need to renounce Christ, sacrifice to the emperor. I mean, you've really got to do it. And, pro, and uh, Polycarp says, you know, for 86 years I have served my Lord and he has done me no, no wrong. Yeah. How, can, how can I renounce him now? Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's real faith, real conviction, mm. down literally to the death. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love the second century. Uh, or even, I mean, Ignatius is simple. He's on his way to his martyrdom and he says, pray I would not simply be called a Christian, but I would prove myself to be one. Yeah. You know, yeah. But by how he dies, bearing yeah. witness in the arena. And what's nice about both those stories is that Ignatius and Polycarp, they're surrounded by friends as they're going to their deaths. And you realize that these Christian leaders were in networks of deep, deep supportive friendship, uh, where they pray for one another and they care deeply for one another in practical ways as well as with general affection. And this idea of Christian communities of friendship, I find very moving. In the second century, I like uh, Clement of Alexandria yes. a lot because he has this rich theology of the Logos yep. from the beginning of John's Gospel that allows him to link who God is with rational humanity. Yep. So he argues that the Logos is the one who gives us life and light. Therefore, every person can be able to understand what the right life is and what the light is. So yeah. there's a link between God and humanity, which is in our minds, which is very powerful for his apologetics. Yeah. So he believes fundamentally that Christianity is rational, you can explain it, and it's goods to the world around you. Yeah. And also love, um, I like uh, Barnabas. Barnabas. Well. Yeah, Barnabas is pretty cool too. The epistle, to, the epistle yeah. of Barnabas. The epistle of Barnabas. Now, it's, so probably not, it's probably not written by the Barnabas. Yeah. Sure. But someone writing in his name. Yeah, that's and it's, right. a, it's an interesting text. Yeah, sure. Now, but you're also big on uh, 
Perpetua and Felicity. Yes, definitely. I mean, yeah. that, I know that's a big interest of yours. And, yes, it is. And the um, the sort of the, the, the stories of the martyr, and this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's it is somewhat hag- hagiographical, of course, yeah, uh, in, in in the sort of genre of literature. But there is also a historical kernel there, yeah, uh, as to what actually happens, and yeah. some very interesting um, imagery associated with uh, Christian martyrs like Perpetua and Felicity. Yeah, and shows that women could be amongst the key uh, models of providing witness to Christ even in death. And even uh, bringing theologies of what the future would look like, what heaven looks like, what God is like mm-hmm. to bear on communities of imprisoned Christians. So, for example, Perpetua is asked to have a vision, right? So you who are favoured by God, mm-hmm. ask God that God might speak to you. She sees God in heaven waiting for them, an older shepherd figure surrounded by elders who say amen in a beautiful garden and they welcome her there after death. So she is someone who understands God's loving kindness as the good shepherd, the one who awaits for us after death. And then when God sees her in her vision, he puts his hand on her and he says, you're welcome here, my child. It's a very moving scene, and her theology that she passes on to her group encourages the whole group to persevere as Christians. Yep, so there's a lot of great stuff happening in second century Christianity, uh, however you do it, however you find it, try check in and read some second century Christian literature. Hi friends, hope you're enjoying the show. And if you are enjoying it, hit that subscribe button. And don't forget to share with your friends if you think they'll enjoy it too. And especially leave a comment or question. We'd love to hear from you. Scott, you and I are big lovers of 1980s pop music. We love our 1980s. Now, do you pop remember? Music? Do you remember the song by Falco, "Rock Me, Amadeus"? Of course, I do. Amadeus, you know, yes. Amadeus, Amadeus. Well, I've rewritten the lyrics. Great. And it now goes, "Irenaeus, Irenaeus, rock me, Irenaeus." You know. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. It's good because I, I love me some Irenaeus. Who is Irenaeus? Irenaeus was a, uh, a bishop. He was a Christian bishop, theologian, apologist, heresiologist. Man, this dude hated heresy. He hated down on it like, like bad. What I do you mean, mean by heresy? Uh, I mean, you know, you know heresy kind of like Gnosticism. Mm. He did. He did not like the Valentinians. And by the way, Valentinians are not the people who like Valentine's Day. Uh, different, different type of Valentinians, completely different group. He didn't like the Valentinians, some of their crazy ideas. Didn't like Marcion either. He, uh, there's a whole bunch of groups he didn't like. Uh, but there's a number of good things I like about Irenaeus. Okay, First of all, he has contact with apostolic tradition because he knew Polycarp and Polycarp knew John. So he, he still kind of preserves something that you might call the living memory yeah. of the apostolic generation. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's still out there. So there's still this sort of, you know, whether you want to call it the, the oral foundations of the church, there are still people who knew the people who knew the apostles yep, and, that first, sure. and that first generation. So uh, he, 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 he comes to us as sort of the crystallization of that apostolic period, okay? Uh, he's also from the eastern provinces, but he's working in largely the Latin West. So he's kind of from Asia Minor, but he's working in Gaul. So he's kind of transcending east and west. So he's a very ecumenical figure in that sense. Uh, if you read his book, The uh, Demonstrations of Apostolic Preaching, 
I think he's basically uh, in, inventing the discipline of biblical theology. So I love that about him. Fourth, he's really big on what they call the regular fidei. Yes. Now, Scott, I know you you know you're up in your Latin, man. Yeah. What's the regular fidei, brother? It's the rule of faith, Michael. Exactly. Now, this comes down to the question of what is the context for understanding the individual parts of Scripture. Mm. And Irenaeus, and he wasn't alone in this, Irenaeus and his buddies said the context for understanding each individual part of Scripture is the general storyline of Scripture, which is about creation, fall, you know, the, the, the patriarchs, the call of Israel, the coming of the Messiah, um, you know, the, and the church. He says that's part of the story that you have to understand Scripture. It's not in the context of your own weird take on platonic cosmology, right. okay? It's not part of your own sort of weird esoteric intellectual proclivity because that will just lead you in a bad direction. You need to locate Scripture within the general storyline of Scripture. He says, and that's what separates us from the heretics yeah. because, you know, they, they can quote the Bible, uh, they, can, they can put in their own context or their own sort of narrative and framework, but the framework is, you know, messing things up. Okay, that's leading people astray. So I love that about him. Uh, he's got a high Christology, high view of the church. Um, he quotes you know, from, a diff- from a whole bunch of different parts of the New Testament. Uh, explains to us why there's four Gospels. Yes. He says, well, you know, there's four corners of the earth, four winds. Makes sense. Four's a crack-a-lacking good number. <laughs> I just like the number four. And that's why we have four Gospels. No less, no more. Number four. Number of the day on Sesame Street every day in in, in Leon for uh, Irenaeus. So, you know, I love me some Irenaeus. Great theologian, stood up against some of the more mischievous and discreet heresies of the day. So, yeah, Irenaeus, great theologian, definitely worth reading. I'd start with his demonstrations of apostolic preaching, and if you can dig that, then move on to the big league and his uh, work against heresies. There's a sense in which... Irenaeus is doing the same thing that Matthew's gospel is doing as it recounts the history of Jesus, his birth and his childhood and his ministry. Irenaeus looks back to the Old Testament to see the anticipations of Christ, Mm -hmm. how the promises and frameworks that God had put into place in the Old Testament shape the vocation of the Messiah and how Jesus is a fulfilment of what's come. Matthew's gospel is doing that. Irenaeus is doing that. So he's not inventing anything new. Exactly. He's just carrying on the tradition of seeing Jesus as the Messiah within the Israelite tradition. But what we see him doing is he's carrying on that kind of form of biblical theology in a new context where people have taken this new Christian message but are trying to, like DJs, remix it yeah, in, exactly. in weird ways. Yeah, and he, and he wants to do, he says, Christian faith, you have to play it in an apostolic key, not mm. in an esoteric key. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Th- that's what he seems to be to be getting at, and you know, and he's also you know can be quite brutal in his criticism of these you know uh, different groups that he's talking about uh, because he believes uh, the faith matters, yeah. uh, belief matters, and you know if you have the wrong view of Jesus, you're going to have the wrong view of what the problem is, what the gospel is, what salvation is, and ultimately who God is. Is yeah. going to be at stake if you've if, if your if your framework and and method is really messed up. So Irenaeus is always someone we've got to go back to. I mean, if I if I ever was made pope, and Lord willing, someday I will be. 
Uh, but if I ever was made, I, I don't know whether I want to be known as Pope Ignatius okay. or Pope Irenaeus. Yeah, good call. Good call, Mike. Yeah. Um, I think the thing with Irenaeus is he's a pastoral theologian. I think that is true. That is true. He, he does show concern. I mean, because he's, he's not just an ivory tower theologian. Like, I mean, Justin Martyr was not a pastor. He was a Christian philosopher. He was an academic. He yeah. was an academic with his own, like, circle of yeah. students. Yeah. And he was somewhat outside of the ecclesial context. Yes. But not Irenaeus. He is a, a full-on bishop of a, of, a, of a congregation under duress yeah. when there are some, you know, internal controversies in the church, like about the dating of Easter. Yeah, that's, sure. That's a big, and he kind, sure. of, he kind of mediates between East and West on that. Um, but he, but he's, he's, he also knows about persecution, the, the, you know, the, the danger of heresies. Um, the nature of the Christian life. Like I yeah. fundamentally see him as a shepherd who's concerned that local Christians don't, uh, that local Christians uh, may have crazy and inappropriate and over-realized expectations for the Christian life, which are going to be damaging for them when they're not realized and detrimental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think he's really a guide. I don't, I don't see Irenaeus as a great mind, to be honest. I think he's basically following biblical patterns of interpretation and ministry, and yep. like, good on him. Like, he's a nine point five solid pastor. That's what we need in the kingdom of heaven. Yep. Whereas there are greater minds later on who can make more fine distinctions. But that's academic theology and what was needed in Lyon was really someone like Irenaeus who's a shepherd. Yeah, a thinking shepherd. Yeah, absolutely, a thinking yeah. shepherd. For a, for a difficult, problematic and tumultuous context. And if we're honest and we talk about ministries here in Melbourne, you and I have benefited greatly from thinking shepherds. Yeah. It's not saying that they're not brilliant or anything, mm -hmm. but we've been very fortunate in Melbourne to have some really stable, reliable, deeply godly, deeply biblical leaders in parishes that have set up a context in which we and our families and our friends can grow and flourish as Christians for the common good here, for the kingdom yep. here. And you need those stable people. Yeah, well, we definitely need pastoral theologians, or you could say we need theological pastors or pastoral theologians. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, that's something that the church needs in every age, and I guess Irenaeus is a good example of that. Great. Michael, we've spoken about Irenaeus and how he was helping his people in Lyon avoid confusion. Yeah. Because there were some confusing quasi-Christian teachers around. Yeah. Now, I've got four weird quotes from the second century. Yep. I... I'm going to give them each a headline. I'm going to read them out and I'd like to hear your response. Okay. 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 Give me, right. give me the go. So the first one I call beautiful. This is Good start. the poem Summer Harvest okay. by Valentinus. I see in spirit all that are hung. I know in spirit all that are born. Flesh hanging from soul, soul clinging to air. Air hanging from upper atmosphere, crops rushing forth from the deep, a babe rushing forth from the womb. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's um, that's an interesting poem. Uh, I'm a little bit unsure what he's talking about. It, it sounds like my spirit's getting away from my body, and I need to catch it and bring it back. It sounds something like that. So. Yeah, that's 
that's we should put that in the uh, maybe for later box. Yes, yes. Um, so that's that was a bit peculiar. That's a psalm of Valentinus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, here we have a helpful one. Okay. Okay. There is one who is good, whose bold speech is the manifestation through the sun, through whom alone is a heart able to overcome, to become pure after every evil spirit is driven from the heart. For there are many spirits inhabiting the heart that do not allow him to be pure. Instead, each of them accomplishes its own works in many ways, inflicting it with appropriate desires. The heart is something like a motel. For it is trashed and dug up and frequently filled with feces of wanton visitors showing little regard for the place since they live everywhere. It is the same way with the heart until it is shown care, it is impure, inhabited by demons. But when the only good one, the Father, oversees it, he makes it holy and illuminates it. And in this way, one who has such a heart is blessed since that person will see God. That's good, but I got stuck on the motel full of feces. Yes, that's yes. Kind of, that's that, I kind of got, got stuck about there. I didn't really hear the rest. I was just picturing this hotel where the toilet stopped working. It was backing up and flowing into the rest of the hotel room. I've, uh, I've been in a hotel room where they, the toilet did get plugged or kind of blocked. Um, so Valentinus is concerned about your heart and he's using the analogy yeah, well, like of a the, motel. Yeah, uh, the, like the, the filth in the human heart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's very reformed. It is very you know, reformed. The the, uh, the, uh, the 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 sin in our own heart that's yet to be mortified. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then very... if you get rid of the demons, you see God. Okay, how that's, cool is that? That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you got next, Scott? Okay, here's a dodgy one from the second century. A dodgy one. And you're going to notice a theme emerging. Okay. Is it is it a poop theme? Is it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, how did Jesus I know? Jesus had self-control, enduring all things. Jesus performed divinity. He ate and drank in his own way without defecating. Such was the power of self-control in him that the nourishment in him did not become waste since he did not possess corruption. Who said that? Valentinus. Ah, so Jesus who never pooped. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's docetism because, you know, unless Jesus participates fully in all of our human experiences, even the somewhat mundane things of like going to the toilet. Mm. He's not fully human. And later uh, Athanasius will say what is not assumed cannot be redeemed. Right. So unless Jesus assumes all of our humanity, including the more like, you know, mundane functions yeah. of, you know, you know, crying and you know, wiping your snotty nose, unless he participates in all those functions, um, that he's not really human mm. and then he's not really a mediator between God and man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, although that was to be a big topic in the Middle Ages, whether, you know, Jesus actually ever went to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It was to be a topic. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah, well, that's that goes to show that there is a certain docetism, uh, docetism in the way where he only seems to be human mm. uh, in the theology of, of Valentine. And it sounds spiritual at one level, doesn't it? Yeah, it does So you can spiritual. see the attraction. Oh, yeah, Jesus was able to self-control his own ability to, to poop. Yeah. And... Because he was so spiritual, and uh, yeah, so it sounds spiritual at one level, but it's actually it's it's actually masquerading or hiding, concealing 
a very wrong heresy. Okay, now here's a really a really weird one to oh, do. Like the, with, we're looking weird in the rearview mirror, <laughs> man. With, we're weirds way back there. <laughs> weird one. This is why I like the second century. Um, to do with something shocking that happens when humans are made. Okay. Okay. So, so okay. okay, okay, and fear, so to speak, fell over the angels in the presence of the molded form when he spoke things greater than his moulding should have allowed on account of the one who invisibly placed a seed of superior substance within him and who spoke with boldness. And for that reason, they were terrified and the angels hid their work. <laughs> so it's just like when the first human was created and the humans were terrified. And so the angels were terrified. Yeah. Okay. So, so Adam was a terrifying creature. Yeah, yeah, because it's like they make Adam... He speaks and like, oh my gosh, we've made this crazy this Fra- Terminator. We've made this Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. And they kind of hide the humans away, hoping no one will notice. So whose view is that? Valentinus. Another Valentinus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, he's the he's just the gift that keeps on giving. He does. Isn't he? he does. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they why, why did they why did they name you know fourteenth of February after him. I don't know. I'm not sure. Actually, it's a different Valentinus. Yeah. Well, I have heard even worse. Like um. Marcion was famous for saying human beings are a, uh, shall I quote, sack of excrement, which, you know, you can put into another idiom. Mm, yeah, that's but, uh, very nice. but yeah, they have low views of humanity, don't they? The, they? All these heretical groups have low views of what it is to be a human being. Yeah, and by extension, marriage, children, yeah. work. Yeah. Pretty much everything that occupies our daily lives is bad, is worthless. Weirdly, in total contrast with what it says in Genesis about being made in God's image, yep. because they exegete Genesis a lot. Yeah. But they just skip over the whole fact that we're made yeah, in God's and all, image. Yeah, all good heresies rewrite the creation story. Yeah, they do. All good heresies yeah. rewrite. The, what, what's your famous saying? To be a heretic, you need three things. You need to be, you remember? Oh, uh, wealthy, wealthy, winsome, and wise. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Scott, you have all three of those. <laughs> yeah, you would you make a much. great heretic. You just got to, you. got to rewrite the creation story. Actually, when I and, and add more and add some poop in there somewhere, and you can <laughs> you'll make a great heretic. Thanks, Mike. Uh, that's good. Well, there you go. Some crazy stuff in second century Christianity, maybe by uh, the heretics who prove that sometimes the road less travelled is less travelled for a good reason. In terms of getting into the second century, there's a whole bunch of good things you can read. I mean, number one, read the primary sources. Read the Apostolic Fathers, read Justin Martyr, read Irenaeus. So I I would definitely go to them. But if you want some uh, guides into it, there's a number of things I would recommend. Uh, There's a uh, late Australian historian called Eric Osborne. Mm. He used to teach down the road at Melbourne Uni. Uh, He specialised in second century Christianity. It was his his bag. He wrote a great little book called The Emergence of Christian Theology, which is all about um, how how early Christian theology really kicked off and hit its you know stride in the second century. So he's all about Justin, uh, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, and all those peeps. Uh, he also has a specialist book on Irenaeus, 
uh, of Leon. Uh, and he's got a great introduction to his theology. So this, this is my go-to book for studying Irenaeus. Uh, but yeah, I mean, primary sources should be primary, but if you want some guides into second century literature, that's a good place to start. What about you, Scott? Any book recommendations for second yes, century Christianity? I do. If you have, I think, the first primary source that people can find and get into is The Martyrdom of Polycarp. You can find that online. It's a ripper of a story. Yeah. And by the time you've finished it, you're like, oh, I've read an original document. I think that's always very satisfying. Then there's these two Aussie characters that have done this great introduction to second century figures. Yep. The Apostolic Fathers by Burden Harrower. Edited by Burden Harrower. Yeah. And this has essays at the real uh, edge of scholarship, so with the most up-to-date scholarship, on each of the main figures in the second century Big themes like how Peter, Paul, for example, are understood to be big figures in their theology and then also theological questions, all in the context of the Roman Empire and diversity and continuity within Christianity. So if you'd like something pretty rich, pretty recent, I'd recommend the Cambridge Companion to the Apostolic Fathers for you. A venerable read indeed, Scott, a venerable read indeed. Well, that's it today for Second Century Christianity. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Please like, share, subscribe, and importantly, leave a comment. I mean, if you've got a question for us about anything you've uh, heard, uh, yeah, leave us a question. Uh, if the question is, how can I join Valentinius's church? We will not be answering because you do not want to join that church. But all other questions are perfectly fine and appropriate. See you next time for the next show in the now and the not yet.